Going Linux, episode 324, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. I hear you've been doing a little reading on some things lately, huh? Yeah, can AMD's coming out with their new Threadripper CPU 16 core 32 threads and then Intel's coming out with their Intel Core X series processors and yeah, I was reading about all the latest technology and I'm amazed at how fast <laughs> things are progressing. Could I just go ahead and put an order in for a 200 core processor? It's it's heading that way. You might want to get a tissue. You got a little drool there. <laughs> <laughs> this way, it would not. It would not. Uh, I would not advise either company to let me into their chip fab uh, places because they might find some things gone. Yeah, uh, that that would run your games pretty quick, wouldn't it? I don't know if there's any. Um, any games that could take advantage of that many processors? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Because <laughs> I was uh, reading that, you know, Handbrake uh, pretty much will use every CPU core that you have on your machine, if you, if, if it can. And uh, they were saying that it can't even handle all the cores. I mean, <laughs> it can use a lot of them, <laughs> but you still have a few to spare. So, you know, it's pretty cool. That they're going um, to this the higher uh, core chips, but until software's written that can take advantage of all the cores and you know and stuff, it's really kind of a bit of an overkill. Yeah, but who says overkill's a bad thing? Yeah, it's still pretty cool. <laughs> still pretty cool. <laughs> That's great. Yep. Well, I don't know how soon we'll be seeing those in the hardware that you and I purchased. Oh, well, I can dream, can I? You know, my, my dream of having four of those running in unison is probably pie in the sky, I know. Yeah. So They're not going to be I cheap, do, though, are they? No, uh, the um, the the top-end uh, Intel Corex series processor right here is going to be about two grand. Hmm. But the uh, the AMD uh, Threadripper is supposed to be around nine hundred. So uh, bargain, <laughs> it's a bargain. Uh, but I was just I was looking at because my my laptop that I uh, my main laptop has a Core i seven, and you know I'm I've been very impressed with how well it runs. Then I'm looking at the specs and I'm like, man, this seems like this. Compare my my i7 to, um, to these new i9 processors and the uh, the Threadripper. It seems like it's going like from a 286 to a Pentium. <laughs> oh, that's 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 really. 
Anybody that doesn't understand that, you know, you're too new. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Just to, <laughs> I'm giving my age away. So I have the 286, and they're getting ready to put, bring out the uh, super duper hyper cores, I guess. So, uh, wow. so we'll just have to we'll just have to keep uh, slumming along. But the one thing I do wonder, I wonder if Linux will will natively be able to use that many cores. I don't know. Or will they have to re- or have to update the kernel? We should buy one of those and try it. Okay, uh, Larry, I I need a... Uh, another uh, get, raise, get I know. Another raise. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see, I've had four raises, and, I, and I've gotten 100% raise each time yep. from nothing and another 100%. So you're really, you're really uh, generous, so I want another 100% raise. All right, you got it. Just so you can go out and buy one of these. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Don't spend it's it almost, all in one spot. Hey, the, you know, after the motherboard is supposed to be expensive too to come out, so um, you're probably some of these high ends going to be around three or four thousand dollars. That's almost yeah. that's ha- like a good down payment on a car. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Like I said, I'm not going to be buying any one of the either one of those anytime soon. <laughs> okay, so. I hear that we're going to start with a voicemail. We are, yeah. And the listener who left the voicemail didn't identify themselves. We usually like at least mentioning your first name, so uh, this this listener didn't, and that's okay. We'll just call him anonymous, all right? <laughs> and uh, All right, so let's play the voicemail. All right. Hi, guys. Like the show, been listening for, gee, quite a while now. It might be over a year. Anyway, I was calling in regards to your latest episode where you guys were talking about the Mate desktop. I really appreciated it. Took a look at some screenshot on the Debian website, and wow, no kidding, this thing looks a lot like GNOME 2. No wonder you guys like it. It's low on resource utilization by today's standards, and... It's highly functional while not giving you too much, like KDE sometimes does, or telling you that they know better, like the GNOME developers seem to do these days. So, why am I calling? Well, I wanted to talk about you guys and your reviews and mentioning system requirements or not. Now, I know to the average user, tech specs don't have a lot of meaning, and often they don't have any meaning, but I appreciate it when you guys say what the requirements or recommendations. So I think you guys should mention tech specs and requirements and things like that on the show. Not only does it help to go and reinforce to old-time listeners how efficient Linux and the software that runs on it can be, but for new listeners to the show that know a little bit about technology and hardware, it helps to emphasize just how good this stuff is and how you can take older computers from desktops to laptops and anything that you can manage to run Linux on it and give it new life by running software on it that other operating systems from other vendors just wouldn't be able to provide satisfactory performance. Anyways, guys, like the show. Thank you very much, and I hope this makes it to the show itself. Okay, uh, thanks, Anonymous, uh, for that voicemail. What do you think, Bill? Should we mention specs in the reviews? I think he makes a good well, point. Well, he does, but I think what we were trying to accomplish with that episode was just a overview of the uh, Mate interface and the programs that were included and how we yeah. liked it. Uh, a lot of the reviews I do, I do include uh, 
minimal and recommended and, yep. you know, but if you remember about, oh, I think it was last year, someone, uh, had posted a, um, a comment that they really didn't, uh, when we we're going through all those specs, they, they really didn't get much out of them. Yeah. Sometimes it gets a little geeky and we don't want to scare someone away. It's like, oh, I don't know what I have because yeah. we are kind of geared to the new user. And I think in today's state of computers, most people have at least the minimum. Unless you're running four or five-year-old hardware, you should be able to run pretty much anything that's out there. The specs for the minimum are, you know, if you have a computer with those kinds of specs, I think they may even be older than five years to get a Pentium M. Let me just read uh, some of the the minimum just to give them an idea. It's a Pentium M, uh, one gigahertz, one gigabyte of RAM, nine gigabytes of available disk space, uh, a DVD-ROM that is you can boot from keyboard and mouse and a video uh adapter and monitor that can do 1020 by 768 or higher a sound card speakers or or headphones so and that's minimum that's, yeah that's minimum i mean that is that is five-year-old technology maybe six yeah yeah absolutely so yeah so i don't know if it's really super important to mention it, but we will if the people want us to. But sure. pretty much any of these um, Linux distributions are going to be able to run on uh, the minimums we just said. Maybe not real well, um, depending on what interface. Like, uh, I mean, if you're running KDE, you might want some more, um, well, a little beefier video graphics. Uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But and maybe a little again, more RAM as well. A little more RAM. You know, they're recommended. It is just, I mean, if you really think about it, it's not that high-end either. It's a Core 2 Duo, 1.6 gigahertz, uh, 2 uh, gigabytes of RAM, 16 gigabytes of available space on the hard drive, a bootable USB flash drive, a keyboard, mouse, or, or another uh, pointing device, a 3D-capable graphics card, and a widescreen monitor, where they can do 1366 by 768 sound card speakers and headphones. And if I remember, that's two or three-year-old technology right there, and that's the recommended. Yeah, I think that would be minimum recommended. And of course, the faster, the better, and the more RAM, the better. I think the hard drive space, that nine gigabytes on the minimum specs, that mm-hmm. would be, I think enough space to install Ubuntu Mate. And if you didn't really install anything additional in terms of applications, you might have enough space to squeak by. Uh, the 16 gigabytes on the recommended is probably more realistic if you're going to add some additional applications if you're actually going to use the computer. Well, I mean, 16 gigabytes is not anything. Most, I mean, even if you had a small hard drive, they come in... Like, uh, what, 100 gigs or something like that? I mean, it's a small one, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you're installing something like OpenSUSE, you're going to need a lot more disk space than that because (laughs) it comes with... Or Sabion. Yeah, it comes with all kinds of applications and duplicates of this and duplicates of that uh, as far as applications that 
do a particular function. So yeah. the each distribution, as we've mentioned, provides different software packages by default. And Ubuntu Mate can run on smaller hard drives primarily because they only provide you with one of each kind of application, like one email client and one yeah. browser, that sort of thing. And you can certainly switch them out. But by keeping it down to one, it accomplishes two things. First of all, for the basic new user, you're not confusing people with multiple choices. And That's two, true. you don't take up a lot of hard drive space on the initial installation. So yep. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And we've already covered that in the review. Okay, well, I think uh, we'll include this kind of minimum specs and recommended specs in our future reviews. What do you think, Bill? Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's no problem. Doesn't take much time, and uh, if people find it useful, great. Yep. But thanks for the feedback. That, yeah, that's, absolutely. It's it's nice to know what you guys want because I mean, it's not like he's asking us to uh, to build an aircraft and take the engines off while it's flying or anything. Yeah, nothing like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, our first email is uh, one of a series that we've received about episode 322, uh, where Sebastian described the fact that his disc was getting full. So here's the first one from Marion. Hello, Larry. In the last feedback episode, someone complained about full disc on his Plex server. There are two things that immediately came to my mind. One, use the DU utility to see which directory is unusually big. Start with the top level and then dig down. I think what happened there, he had a disk for backups that disk was not mounted for a while. So I guess backups still went to that directory, but they stayed on the local disk. And when he mounted the other disk, the mount point shows the mounted disk and all the files on the mount point on the local disk are hidden. I hope you're following this. I would suggest to him to unmount the backup disk and check the directory where he mounts. I bet there are his backups eating up space. I like your show, although I don't agree all the time, especially when Bill says how things are easier on Linux than on Windows. They are not. For people starting with Linux, they simply are not. I am exclusively on the Linux desktop for the last two years. Happy camper. But I know I would not even try to convert my daughters. It would be a pain for two weeks and then they would return. Until you can do everything with the terminal, you cannot move regular users. Okay, Marion. Um, what do you think, Bill? You think he's got a okay. point? Uh, well, I think everybody's different, so it yeah. might be harder for some people. It might be easier for some people. I mean, I won't say it's been totally painless. I've had issues, and <laughs> too, as yeah. you well know, most people don't get to hear me rant and rave and gripe uh, before <laughs> the show. But uh, yeah, he they, they make some good points, so. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and I think it's really dependent on what you're used to, because I know that for work, when I switch from using Windows to using a Mac, um, it, things weren't easier on the Mac for me. Uh, and now I think if I were to switch from the Mac to Windows 10, I would probably find Windows 10 is not easier for me. So 
you know, whether you're switching from Windows to Linux or Mac to Linux or Linux back to Windows or, uh, or, or Windows for the first time or Mac for the first time, I think you would find it difficult just because things are different. I agree with you, uh, because I, in work, I have to use Windows, uh, sometimes I have to use Windows 7, sometimes they have Windows 10, and, uh, at one, one of my job sites, they have, uh, a Mac that does mm-hmm. whatever it does. I have yet to figure out why they got that thing there. But anyway, so sometimes I'd sit there and think about, now, how do I do it on this one? So, yeah. you know, yeah. when I come home, when I come home and I'm a bit of my Linux, uh, computer, it's, I, I know how to do things. Boom, boom. So it's easier for me. But Windows, uh, you know, certain things are, can be easier on Windows. Um, and, but I think about the only thing I would say is it's easy, things that are easier on Windows is uh, their office software is pretty good as yeah. far as making things work. But that's just me. Yeah, there's a lot of work put into the whole office suite by Microsoft, and uh, mm-hmm. they've done a good job there, even though their file format doesn't match open standards. Uh, you know, that's, that's the real gripe there. But uh, as far as the hard drive space reducing or the hard drive filling up i think do you using that command rather than the ls command we suggested in the episode is probably wiser it gives you more information specifically around disk usage and that sort of thing i mean that's what du stands for right disk usage uh and the whole idea that if you have a mount point but the disk isn't mounted if you try to save files to what would normally be your mounted disk, they're going to go into that mount point folder. And as soon as you mount the disk, they're going to be invisible to you because you're showing the files on the disk you've mounted. And when you unmount the disk, you're you're going to see what's in that mount point folder again. And, you know, that, that could very well have been part of what was going on there. What do you think? Impossible, um, but without actually looking at it, I wouldn't really know. But yeah, uh, it's, that's a that's pretty plausible. Yeah, it's something to check out. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unmount the disk and see if there's anything in that folder that is used for the mount point. And if there is, you know, back it up <laughs> and delete it all. <laughs> uh, I'm saying back it up because who knows? There may be something in there that you want. Yeah, yeah, don't do uh, my method of nuke and pave and forget to back up stuff. Yeah. <laughs> go, oh, go. I didn't do that. Yes, I did. Yep. Okay. Our next email comes from Miguel, who provided a similar suggestion. First, a salute, and then the usual thanks for the great podcast. I've been a listener for about two years and enjoy every episode. In the episode 322 show, there was a guy with a Plex server disks that were filled. I want to suggest DU or the much better NCDU to spot the problem. Thanks again for the great shows and an apology for my bad English. I agree. The DU command is better. I have never tried NCDU. I'm not familiar with that. Have you? Nope. (laughs) Okay. We'll have to check that (laughs) one out. So that's a lot of help. But no, I didn't didn't know there was an NCDU. Neither did I. I learned something new today. Yeah, me too. Okay. Well, thanks, Miguel. Um, Eldon suggested this on our Google Plus community. Listening to episode 322, with regard to the full hard drive, 
One of the best tools to figure this out is NCDU. There it is again. Since the user was able to clear up a little room, I would install that and run it with the dash X switch so that it stays on the same drive as the root folder. So you would type NCDU space slash space dash X. And he says that will give you a nice way to navigate the file system and see how much each folder is holding. In a pinch, you can use the plain old du-sh slash star to track it down. Once you find a large folder, just cd into it and type du space dash sh space star again to find the largest folder there. Rinse and repeat until you find the large data problem. Well, that'll help you locate it, but I'm not sure that's going to help you find the root cause of the issue. But again, once you know where it is, you can dig in with other tools and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Our next email comes from the small box admin, and he also suggested uh, DU. Episode 322 feedback. For the disk full issue, log files are generally found in slash var slash log and are usually not hidden. Some applications may put them in other subdirectories. Doing a wildcard search using the ls command will take much too long to find the files. A better solution would be to use the du command. A quick way to find out which directory is the culprit is to run it from the root of the file system for a wildcard search using the find command would work much better too. If there's an issue with log files, tweaking the log rotate configuration file should help. Log rotate manages and purges log files and can be found in slash etc slash log rotate dot conf. Note my attached images are on a Debian system as the root user. Using an Ubuntu based system, you would proceed the command with sudo. And that's sudo. And then he writes further thinking about the issue. Uh, Sebastian had after removing the backup drive did he stop the backups from performing after removing the backup drive maybe the cause of the SDA error and SDB being full was the backup tried to backup the file to slash media subdirectory huh that's exactly what uh, what Marion was saying so Definitely something you should check out. Sebastian. Yeah, that sounds like it sounds like these guys have fi- uh, pretty much figured this one out. Yep, I think so. Yep. Much better than we could, Bill. Yeah, much smarter too. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Speaking well, speaking for me. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. Apparently. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris asks about screen recorders for Linux. Hello, guys. I may not be new to Linux anymore. Been using it ten plus years. But I still enjoy each show you put out. Keep up the great work. My 11-year-old son recently inquired about Linux, and after showing him Linux running on my laptop, he asked me to load it on his laptop. I installed Arch and got it, along with his games, up and running. Up to this point, however, he still goes back to Windows for one thing. I have been unable to find a good screen recorder for Linux. While I don't remember which ones I tried, all of them either had working audio but no video, or had working video but no audio. 
An application that also utilizes the webcam would be nice as well. Do you guys use a particular package for your screencasts? I would be interested to try out any suggestions you have. A working screen recorder may just add another Linux addict to our ranks. Once again, keep up the great work on your show. Your contributions to the Linux community are greatly appreciated. All right. Well, uh, have you done many video, any video recording on Linux, Bill? For any reason, uh, when I first started, I tried and I ran into the same types of issues that uh, that he, he's run into. Either it didn't have sound, or it was too choppy, or um, but I think that you've you've used one uh, that works pretty well, haven't you? Yeah, I've used I've used a few actually, and I wrote back to Chris and gave him the list. So let me pull up my email because it's in there. So. I have used over the years, I've used simple screen recorder. That's the one that's included these days with uh, Ubuntu Mate. And if it's not pre-installed on your particular distribution, that being Arch in this case, I'm sure it's available in the AUR. Uh, I've also successfully used Kazam and Record My Desktop. Those are the three that I've used. Simple screen recorder, Kazam, and Record My Desktop. Each allows you to record just the video or both video and audio, but you do need to check that the audio settings in particular are set correctly, uh, and, and at least the setting to, to record the audio is turned on uh, when you start your recording, because sometimes I've noticed, especially with Record My Desktop, the early versions of it, it would default to video only, and you had to actually go into the menus and, and switch on the audio before we record. Once I did that, even with the older versions of Record My Desktop, everything worked just fine. The The main problems I had were more to do with the fact that my computer didn't have enough RAM to process the video as it was being recorded and even to process the video after it was recorded was a bit of a challenge. So as my computer hardware got better, my ability to do screencasts got better as well. So that may be what you're running into with your son's computer, depending on how old it is. But I would suggest simple screen recorder as something you might want to check out if you haven't tried it already. And that should do the job for you. It's pretty, as the name would suggest, simple. And it seems to work just fine, um, even on older machines. Give it a shot. Let us know how it goes. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Our next email comes from Richard, who sent us an email entitled, You Will Only Boot Windows or Else. Hmm. He writes, Hi, Larry. Hi, Bill. I have an HP Pavilion 23 running Windows 10 that I am working on for a friend. Because of Windows malware, this is not the first time I've worked on this machine. I'm trying to help them in, to go Linux. I have installed Linux Mint 18.1. All went well to start. However, after successfully installing and running Linux meant I boot into Windows 10 and forever after it will only boot into Windows 10. I investigated and found that a Windows 10 UEFI and possibly manufacturer motherboard issue 
what is happening is that the Windows changes the UEFI boot order whenever you boot into Windows, placing the Windows Boot Manager first. Is there a permanent solution to this problem without using third-party Windows software? My friend is an elderly lady and asking her to go into the UEFI configuration and change the boot order every time she wants to run Linux, I don't think will get us to a gone Linux story. Appreciate any help or insight you might have on this issue. 73, Rick, NZ, 2, uh, I. Uh, I had a similar problem, but, uh, my solution was, uh, when most computers boot up, if you hit the, uh, the BIOS key, or what our, they, some, some of them call boot key, it'll bring up a, a list of what, what partition you want to, to start. But, uh, I, on that one computer, I couldn't get to do, I had to do that every time, or it would boot into Windows. I think it's just part of, the firmware. Yeah, exactly. There might be a way to switch that off in the firmware settings, in the UEFI settings. Um, and it's going to be called something different on each machine, unfortunately, uh, because the manufacturers have their own names for the same setting, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the hardware manufacturers. So it may take a little bit of research on your part to figure it out. Uh, but I would check out the various guidance that you can get from blogs and other places around installing Linux on a Windows 10 machine with UEFI and see if any of the suggestions there help. And it may be that they have just locked it down to the point on this particular machine that you there's not much you can do about it other than not boot into Windows 10. I mean, that's one one suggestion, probably not all that practical. But uh, yeah, uh, that's that's a tough one. And there may be a way around it, and maybe our listeners have solved that problem, again, like they've done with the, uh, <laughs> the other problems we've outlined here. So yeah. uh, great. We'll uh, see if any one of our listeners can help you out. Thanks, Rick. All right. Our last email is from Chard, who sent in a suggestion for you, Bill. Cool. Uh, Chard says, allow this listener to place in contention a candidate for Bill's future machine. An electronics N870HK1 Pro premium gaming laptop. Never heard of it, you say? Neither had I until very recently. When I did, I had to buy one, the best computer I've ever used, let alone owned. You can check it out on Amazon.com reviews, including mine, entitled Built for Linux, at, and he gives the link for the Amazon review. We'll include that in the show notes. And he says, responding to the KDE issue, I must say that I rather like that desktop. One of the sweetest KDE spins that I am currently using as the basis of an HTPC setup is a little rolling release put together by the PC Linux OS community called Mini-Me. It's an absolutely fantastic OS. Appreciate the podcast, Chard on the Oregon Coast. Well, thanks, Chard. Uh, have you checked out that uh, laptop, Bill? What do you think? Bill, are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. I was uh, sorry. You're I checking had, out the uh, laptop, weren't I you? I was checking out the laptop. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Uh, it looks nice. I'll have to read more. I didn't get to read it all, but uh, it does look uh, nice. Thanks, Chard. I will definitely uh, investigate this further. Of course, you know, when Larry tells me about a new piece of hardware, I'll just mute the microphone and go look and forget <laughs> that we're recording the podcast. Oh, uh, man. Well, maybe uh, on the next episode when you've got a delivery of your new uh, laptop from Electronics, <laughs> we, can, uh, we can have a discussion about it. Uh, or maybe you'll figure out that this isn't quite for you for one reason or another. But hey, it's an option. That's for sure. Uh, it is. All right. That's good. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Chard, for that email. And uh, we'll check out Minimi, the Linux distribution from PC Linux OS, and see what that's all about as well. Yep. Okay. Well, that wraps up our episode. And our next episode will be a user experience episode of some sort. We haven't decided on which of our hundreds and hundreds of topics. Well, maybe <coughs> not hundreds, maybe 10 topics. Well, maybe we got five. Uh, if we if we can think of something to talk about by next time, we'll have an episode. <laughs> Boy, that's a way to instill uh, a confidence, Larry. <laughs> we will have an episode. Yeah, that's it. Our next episode, there will be one. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. Right. All right. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.